When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there, friends, and welcome back. I am Stephanie Safarian, and you are listening to episode 137 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. On today's show, we are discussing all things related to water, and more specifically, we are discussing the global freshwater crisis. Now, when you hear me say global freshwater crisis, you may and you likely might be saying to yourself, what? Water crisis? And that is because many of you listening have likely been privileged enough to grow up and live with fresh, clean water running from your faucets every day. And I say that as one of those people. I have been fortunate enough to never have to think about where my water, where my clean water, where my drinkable water is coming from, because it's always been literally at my fingertips through my faucet. And that is a privilege because water is so important, right? It's not just important. It's vital to sustain life on earth. A human can live just three to four days without water. Uh, We're living in a COVID world where epidemiologists are constantly touting the benefits of hand washing. Chances are you have already washed your hands a few times today, as you definitely should, (laughs) But have you ever thought about where that water comes from? And have you ever considered having access to such clean, fresh water as a privilege? The reality is that you and I may overlook this vital resource, but despite easy access from faucets and showers, water is a finite resource that is going extinct. Now, on today's show, I have three very distinct goals. My first goal is to bring to light three common misconceptions about water and debunk them with reality, with facts. My second goal is to put numbers, or I should say put gallons, to common household tasks that use water, just so we can all get on the same page as to how much water we are really using every day, how much water our lifestyles demand. And then finally, my third goal is to offer up some common sense measures to conserve water. The good news here is that saving water here and there isn't hard once you get on board with doing it. (laughs) The hard part is realizing that we should be conserving it. So that's my ultimate goal today. Now, this week's show notes, you can find them at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 137. That's mamaminimalist.com forward slash 
So let's just jump right into goal number one for today, and that is to highlight the three misconceptions about water that I definitely had before researching this episode, and you may have as well. So to be completely honest with you, I held all three of these misconceptions. (laughs) The first one is, how on earth is there a water crisis? Isn't this planet made up of 71% water, right? Like how, how can we be in danger of running out of fresh water? It doesn't make sense. Well, it is true that planet Earth is made out of 71% water. But of that 71%, 96% of it is in the oceans. And that means that it's salt water. So it's not fit for consumption and it's not fit for irrigation. Of that 71%, 1.7% of water on this earth is in lakes and rivers and streams and soil, and another 1.7% is in the polar ice caps and glaciers, which, by the way, are melting, and less than 0.01% is in the atmosphere. So what do all those numbers mean? They mean that of the 71% of water that covers this planet, only 2% of it is consumable. And only 1% of that is accessible. That 1% is vital to sustain life of all living species on this planet. So that is a perfect segue into misconception number two, which is, but doesn't water get recycled via the water cycle? And if this is a misconception that you have, you were paying attention during elementary school science lessons, so good work. (laughs) Yes, the earth is pretty amazing, and thanks to evaporation, transpiration, condensation, water does indeed get recycled. But now there's a big but here, capital B, capital U, capital T. Even though water is recycled through this natural cycle, Humans are consuming water faster than Earth can replenish it. Now, why is that? Well, there's a couple of reasons all happening simultaneously. First is that droughts and heat waves are threatening our water supply, as do pollution and excessive fertilizer use, which makes existing freshwater unsuitable for drinking and unsuitable for irrigation. On top of that, there are increased population demands, increased needs for agriculture, increased needs for industry construction and manufacturing, so our water needs continue to grow. Now, if I could say this another way, say this a simpler way, I would say that water scarcity is being driven by two things happening at once. One, we are using more water, and two, we are depleting our reusable freshwater resources. Hence, the crisis. Now, misconception number three is one that has to do with privilege. I have never been without water. It doesn't seem like there's a crisis to me. I am willing to bet that most of you listening today, not all of you, but most of you are so used to having an unlimited supply of fresh and clean water pour from your tap whenever you want it. And if that is your experience, one major takeaway I hope to impart on you today is that fresh water flowing from your faucets is a privilege. Dozens of cities across this 
globe stand to face severe water shortages in the coming decades. And if you're listening from Cape Town, South Africa, Mexico City, Cairo, Tokyo, London right now, you know this to be true. And that's because you're already living amidst the crisis every day. You're already feeling the pinch. So to really drive this point home, I want to dive a little bit deeper into four cities that are currently or have in the recent past struggled with water shortages. And the first one I want to get to is Jakarta, Indonesia. In Indonesia, 70% of the waterways are polluted. So the water is non-consumable. Jakarta, the capital, is rapidly sinking due to rising sea levels as well as over-extraction of groundwater. Their sinking, though, is only threatening their access to groundwater more. Another example here is Cape Town, South Africa. You may have heard something about Cape Town's severe water shortages in the past few years, and that's because Cape Town made international news in 2017 and 2018. Dam levels of the Western Cape region fell to just 13.5% of total capacity, and the city and the city's 4 million people were in danger of running out of water. Now, thankfully, they did not run out of water due to a combination of both conservation efforts as well as perfectly timed rainfall. But it has been two years since the crisis, and Cape Town has still not received water security. Their dams are currently hovering around 50% capacity. Next up is Melbourne, Australia. I wanted to put Melbourne in here because I wanted to give a little shout out to my Australians listening. Melbourne survived a 12-year drought from 1997 to 2009. And although the drought is technically over, ecologists believe that Melbourne's water supply continues to remain in danger due to deforestation. And finally, the final international city I would like to bring to the light is London. London's water supply is in danger because of a weakening infrastructure, bursting pipes, and an increasing population. The country of England is on track to run out of water within the next 25 years. Think about that. An entire country is on track to run out of water within the next generation. I would be remiss here if I didn't mention that water shortages more greatly affect the poor and people of color worldwide. If you are interested in diving deeper into the topic of environmental injustice and you missed episode 127 of this podcast, definitely check it out. Episode 127, it was titled Five Ways to Stand Up to Environmental Racism. Moving on to part two of this show today, I want to move this conversation from global cities into our homes by discussing some water facts from within the average American's home. So to do this, I have compiled a list of 10 rhetorical questions that really equate to 10 common actions, followed by the amount of water that that action consumes. Now, if that's confusing to you, just stay with me. It'll make sense in a minute. The purpose of doing this is not to shame anybody. The purpose is more to just put a number to common actions that demand water. Now, I am using the metric of gallons 
today because I live in America and we talk about water and other liquids in terms of gallons. But if you are one of my beloved international listeners and you don't know what a gallon is, one gallon is equal to about 3.7 liters. So keep that in mind. All right, so rhetorical question number one. <laughs> Have you or someone in your family, someone in your household taken a bath lately? If so, know that it takes 70 gallons of water to fill a bathtub. That's 265 liters, by the way, international listeners. 70 gallons. Just picture that. Picture 70 milk jugs. <laughs> How about flush the toilet? Have you flushed the toilet today? A single toilet flush requires 3.5 gallons of water. And the average American, just for reference, uses 20 gallons per day of water just flushing the toilet. Question number three, do you water your lawn? Nearly 60% of a person's household water footprint goes to watering the lawn. It's crazy. Do you have a pool? The average pool takes 22,000 gallons of water to fill, and if you don't cover it every night, hundreds of gallons of water per month are lost due to evaporation. Question number five, have you bought a new t-shirt lately? You have likely already heard me say before that cotton is a water-intensive crop. Perhaps you didn't know, however, that it takes 100 gallons of water to grow a single pound of cotton. Have you washed your car lately? If so, that's 150 gallons of water. Now this one's killer because <laughs> I do this all the time. Have you drank a cup of coffee lately? I drink about, if I'm being honest, I drink about four cups of coffee a day. A single cup of coffee requires 55 gallons of water with most of that water being used to grow the coffee, the coffee beans. That's insane. My coffee habit costs 200 gallons of water a day. Oh my gosh, I need to rethink that. <laughs> Question eight, have you done laundry today? About 22% of the water your home uses goes toward the laundry. All right, question number nine. Did you eat a hamburger for lunch? <laughs> One quarter pounder is worth more than 30 American showers. Oh my gosh. And have you eaten chicken lately? A single serving of poultry uses 90 gallons of water to produce. Finally, have you filled your car with gas lately? One gallon of gas requires 13 gallons of water to produce. So moving right along into conservation, conserving water can come in all different forms and through all different actions. I have a bunch of strategies for you today to just try on for size, and my hope is that you pick the ones that support your existing efforts and fit into your existing life, or maybe even you take what you're already doing in your own homes up a notch. Conserving water can be as simple as just, you know, if you don't finish your glass of water, instead of pouring it down the drain, you pour it into a houseplant instead. But it can also be as complex as investing in a rain barrel, 
putting that barrel outside under a downspout and using the collected water to water your garden, right? As is in most cases when it comes to sustainability, there is a wide range of actions that we can all take. We can start where we're at and adopt incremental lifestyle tweaks to do better. A quick note here is that when we conserve water, the good news is we're saving more than just water because it takes enormous amounts of energy and resources to get water to the faucets in our homes. And so when we're intentional about water use, we're also saving energy. We're saving energy that was used to heat and pump and treat water. It's like a triple whammy of goodness because in order for fresh water to come out of our faucets, it first requires energy pumps, lab testing, treatment, sanitation, irrigation supply centers, cooling towers, and so many other energy and resources that you and I likely never think about. More good news here is that once you're on board with why it's important to save water, why it's important to conserve water here and there, it's actually quite simple to do so. The harder part is realizing why it's important. The easy part is the practice. So I've got a bunch of strategies for you today. It is absolutely not an exhaustive list of every single way to conserve water, it's just some some ideas <laughs> to hopefully get you thinking creatively about how much water you're using in your own daily life and how you can cut back here and there. The first one is to repair your dripping faucets and toilets, and that is because 14% of water in the average home is lost to leaks. It's just such a waste, right? A leak. Leaky faucets are easy to spot, right? They're dripping. But toilet leaky toilets are harder to spot. And a good trick that I use in my own house to spot a leaky toilet is to put three to five drops, no more than that, three to five drops of food coloring in your toilet bowl before bed, and then check on that toilet again in the morning. If the food coloring is completely gone or if it's severely diluted in the morning, you have a leaky toilet that needs a little bit of fixing. All right, some other ideas here. Use one drinking glass per person per day. In my kitchen, everybody has a distinct spot in the kitchen where their cup goes. <laughs> and it's not so minimalist. It looks kind of sloppy. There's always four cups in the kitchen. But it prevents that dishwasher from overflowing. It prevents water being used to wash excessive cups. Similarly. You can reuse plates throughout the day. I mean, obviously not if the plate is utterly soiled and disgusting, but if you just had, you know, an English muffin and there's a couple crumbs on it, wipe the crumbs in the trash, don't use the water to clean it, and then use the plate again. Easy. When you're doing dishes, use a phosphate-free dishwasher detergent so you're not inadvertently polluting waterways. When it comes to your diet, drinking less coffee, that's for me, that's my reminder, buying fewer avocados and almonds. Those all help in terms of conserving water because coffee, avocados, and almonds are water intensive, as are meat because animals require water in order to be raised for our consumption. When it comes to doing laundry, if you have the type of washing machine that allows you to adjust the water level, Make sure you're doing so. That is a very powerful way to save some water. 
perhaps if you have a brand new or very new washing machine, your machine has a sensor and is already doing that for you. But if you have that opportunity on an older machine to adjust the water level, take that extra 0.2 seconds and push the button (laughs) for the right amount of water to come into your machine. When it comes to bathing, if you have children, have smaller baths with less water for your kids. A great idea here, I think I've mentioned it on the show before, is that in my house, we have a washable crayon. We draw on the side of the tub where the water line is, and then it's a game. The next time we have bath, we try to fill up the tub less than that. (laughs) Now, related to this is when I was a kid, my mom gave my sister and I sponge baths. And I think it was more of like a time-saving, like I'm really tired, but you're dirty. Let's quick wash off before bed type of thing. But whatever happened to the sponge bath, the good old 1980s, 1990s sponge bath, I am going to bring back the sponge bath for so many reasons. Saves water and saves my sanity. I hate bath time. Done. So consider, you know, bringing back the sponge bath. For you, if you are not so much of a bather, but are definitely more of a showerer, take shorter showers. Now, I love a long, hot shower. (laughs) One of my favorite winter activities is just hanging out in the quiet, in my hot shower, all alone for a really long time. And so if you're like me and you just love your long, hot shower, I suggest maybe you set a timer so that you get a baseline for the length of your showers first, right? So set a timer. Uh Uh-oh, your shower was 18 minutes long. (laughs) Well, now at least you have a baseline for cutting back from there. A good number to aspire to is a five-minute shower or less. Now, again, with the showers is if your water is taking a long time to heat up, maybe you live in an older home, maybe you have a water heater that isn't quite so speedy. An advanced strategy is to put a bucket on the floor of the shower to collect the cold water while your warm, hot shower is heating. And then you take that bucket and use that water to water the plants or drink or cook with. Putting that bucket there prevents perfectly good, cool water from just running down the drain. More ways to conserve water in the bathroom would just be, you know, a common sense measure of don't ever keep the water running, ever. (laughs) No more keeping the water running when we're brushing our teeth. No more keeping water running when we're washing our hands. So if you're in the habit of washing your hands for 20 to 30 seconds, like the epidemiologists are telling us we're supposed to be doing multiple times a day to stay healthy... That water should be turned off for those 20 to 30 seconds when when we're scrubbing our hands. When it comes to the toilets, flush less. (laughs) You should still be flushing, right, for sanitation, but perhaps it's possible to flush less. There are plenty of times when a toilet definitely needs a flush, and we know (laughs) what those times are. I don't need to spell it out for you. But other times, perhaps... The toilet does not need to be flushed because if you don't flush it, you are saving 3.5 gallons without breaking a sweat. 
Finally, just one more strategy I would like to suggest today is that if you have dehumidifiers running in your house, like I do, I have two, two dehumidifiers in my basement to prevent mold during the summer, you know, those fill up with water. So take those dehumidifiers and bring them outside to water your garden. And I will say that I am emptying those dehumidifiers every single day. Does it sometimes stink to lug two buckets worth of water up the stairs, out the door to my tomato plants? Yes, it does. It's not It's not so great. <laughs> do I do it 100% of the time? No. And so I'm telling you this because the point is not so much to be perfect. The point is more to progress. One other quick mention before we close today is that If you are not in the habit of storing water for that just-in-case event, perhaps you consider doing so. So I store a lot of water in my basement in reusable jugs. I have never, ever had to resort to using this water. And again, I consider that a privilege. And I rest easy, though, knowing that it's there just in case. So I also store water in a rain barrel just in case, and maybe you do the same. There's no harm in saving it, right? But on the small chance a time comes when you do need stored water in the future and you have none, there will definitely be some harm in that. I so hope that today's episode made you think about your faucets and your showers in a new light. And if we went too fast and you missed something, please know that you can find everything we talked about today in this week's show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 137. Now, we need to talk because I need to thank each and every one of you for the reviews that you have left this show in the past two weeks. I have received 50 (laughs) Apple Podcast reviews in the last two weeks from listeners in the United States, and 41 international reviews from all of you listening throughout this world. And I just want to take a minute on this show to say thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate you guys taking the 60 seconds to show your support for the show and to help it grow. And if you haven't left a review yet, please consider doing so, or please consider telling a friend about the show, writing a review, telling a friend, reaching out to me. Those are all free ways to support the show where you don't have to spend any money. So thank you so much. Now on next week's show, we are taking this week's topic all about water. We're diving a little bit deeper into water, but we're also putting a special twist on it. And that's because I am answering a listener's question, which had to do with our lawns. How can we make our yards and our lawns and our grass more eco-friendly? That's what we're answering next week. I will see you then. Have an amazing week and take care.